Good morning. How are you guys doing? Okay, cool, cool. Feels good to be back up here. I haven't gotten to preach from this stage for like two plus years, so that's exciting. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Royce. Uh, I'm one of the elders here, along with uh, Adam, the original elder in all black here. And, uh, but yeah, Andy's in South Africa, so I get to preach on uh, Romans 14 today. And so you know, we're on 14, so obviously we've gone through 13 chapters of um, Paul, the Apostle Paul laying out the gospel and laying out how we should live according to the gospel. And this week is kind of like, almost like the miscellaneous chapter, where he's like, hey, and there's all the other stuff that you guys argue about all the time, and let's figure out how to handle that. <laughs> so this is chapters on disputable matters, almost like kind of like how we would talk about gray areas, and how do we still love each other um, when we don't agree, which is super important and relevant, because really a lot of the things that we argue about um, as a church, or even in our relationships, are disputable, you know? Have you ever had somebody say that word to you before, when you, like, throw out an opinion? You're like, oh, Dark Horse is the best coffee, and they're like, disputable, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, that's basically what we're talking about this morning, and... Um, Speaking of disputable matters and conflicts, um, back at the beginning of COVID, my wife and I, we signed up for a few marriage counseling courses. All right, all right maybe like three or four to kind of um, work on a few things. And uh, two years later, we're nearly finished. So, but it's been so great and so helpful um, for our marriage. And a lot of times we're just like, why didn't we do this when we first got married? It would have been so amazing. A lot of these things we've been arguing about for 10 years. Um, and one of the things that we've learned is that um, staying connected uh, during a conflict is usually more important than who's right, okay? Because even if you're right, you're still living with this person that you just made very angry. And most of the time, the things that we're arguing about, they're not clear black and white things, you know? It's not like you pull out a Bible verse and it says, like, oh, don't eat that or something. <laughs> um, they're usually more, more gray areas, like um, who should stay home with the kids, or where should, we, where should we move? Or how much money can I spend on my electric bicycle? Uh, which was way too much. And, and it got stolen, yeah, and I had to buy another one. And, and Allison, just add, she added it all up one time for me. Um, so. And, uh, but through this counseling, I think I've learned that um, the goal of arguing is not necessarily to win the argument. <laughs> the goal is... We've, we've, she's walked us through this process called validation where we learn to understand what the other person is, is feeling and thinking and kind of put ourselves in their shoes. And that usually leads us to apologizing or at least still feeling closer at the end of the conflict than when we did when we first, before we were arguing. Does that make sense? And so it's easy to laugh in hindsight about fights over silly things like bicycles. Um, but in the moment, these things can feel like a huge deal. We can get real heated real quick and lose track of how irrelevant a lot of these issues actually are in the big scheme of things. And the same thing can happen in our church, right? It can happen in our personal relationships. And a lot of times we, carry, we care way too much about these secondary issues, um, things like COVID precautions or politics or third tier um, theological issues. 
And then we end up treating our brothers or sisters who Jesus died for like enemies instead of siblings. And sometimes, oftentimes, churches even split up over these issues. And that's what today's text is about. It's about how can we disagree on secondary disputable matters while remaining united as a family of brothers and sisters who love each other deeply. Is that something that you guys want for this church? Me too. Um, So to see what Paul has to say on this issue, let's jump into this morning's text. So we're going to be looking at Romans 14, starting in verse 1. And I have to warn you, this is a really long text. We're basically going through all of 14 and half of 15. And so do your best to get comfortable. At least coffee's back this morning, you know. If you need to get up, do a bathroom break, I understand. I'm not going to call you out. Um, Before I jump in, uh, let's pray for some energy, okay? Um, Father, we're so grateful for your word. Uh, We're grateful that you care about gray areas. You care about um, disputable things. I pray that you give us, or I thank you that you give us, like, grace and um, space for how you let us live. Like, we're, we're all different. We have different consciences. We live different ways. And to a certain extent, like, you are perfectly fine with that. I'm grateful that you've saved us, and I pray that you make this text um, clear as we read it. Amen. All right, Romans 14.1. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith. But don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. And real quick, one thing is that he, Paul uses weak in faith and weak person interchangeably, okay? And also strong in faith and strong person. So don't get confused with that. All right, verse 3. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand, because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind Whoever observes a day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus 
that nothing in itself is unclean, is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace, what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. All right, we're on chapter 15. You guys doing good? Woo! All right. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another, as just as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. There's a lot of praise going on. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, you made it. Good job. All right, so what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about food and drinks and weak and strong. Um, this is a super long text, but luckily it's largely uh, one theme going on here. And what's, what's likely happening in the, in the background, in the context, is that the Romans are arguing over Old Testament dietary laws and whether it's okay to drink alcohol or not. Uh, one of those things we still mostly argue about today sometimes. And um, Paul, instead of um, laying down, basically instead of judging like who's right or wrong, he's going to give guidelines for how the, 
Romans could handle this issue and also other disputable issues like them, okay? So it's kind of like, all right, with extra biblical things, um, this, is, this is how you handle it in a loving way. And so to this end, to break down the text, I have three points this morning. Uh, the first two are basically definitions. What is a disputable matter? And what is weak versus strong faith? And thirdly, how can we maintain unity is kind of the, um, the heart of the text. So um, the first, te- first point here, what is a disputable matter? Uh, well, disputable matters or, or gray areas are areas where the Bible either doesn't have a clear instruction or, or it could just be something that's like not that essential to the Bible or the biblical doctrine. We're not talking about like the divinity of Christ here or salvation by grace uh, through faith alone or something important like that. So that's really important that you keep in mind that we're talking about disputable matters and agreeing and uh, agreeing to disagree. We're not talking about the essentials here. And so to kind of give you some examples of like what are modern day disputable matters that we tend to argue over, um, I'm kind of kind of read through a quick list here. And I want you, as I name a few, just to think uh, which of these are, are you sensitive to? Like if someone disagrees with you in one of these areas, uh, which ones you, like, you might get upset or uh, you might want to go change their minds or something like that. So uh, the first one, um, drinking alcohol. Is it a good or a bad thing? Uh, in what context is it good or bad? Is it okay at a party? Is it okay at gospel community? Is it okay if someone brings a mimosa in here and they're, and they're drinking uh, while I'm preaching? That's the first one. Uh, number two, some of you are like, can I do that? <laughs> is that a takeaway from the sermon? Uh, number two is uh, cussing or swearing. What counts as a cuss word? How do you know? Where does the Bible restrict uh, cuss words? Actually, I ran into um, a friend who actually left this church because somebody said a swear word on stage one time. Um, and he's doing really well now. But I was like, this, that's definitely something I'm going to put in to the sermon. <laughs> Um, number three, punctuality, okay? Uh, culturally, like, what time you show up places is very different, and I've heard plenty of people um, arguing um, over, over punctuality. Like, how late is unlovingly late when someone shows up to a meeting or, or an event or whatever? Uh, that's very uh, disputable. Number four, COVID restrictions, all right. Uh, masks, vaccines, should they be your personal choice or is it like an issue of neighborly love? Um, definitely not super clear in the Bible. Don't think they had vaccines or really masks, so it is definitely disputable. Uh, number five, if you get invited to like a gay wedding or a divorced person's wedding, should you go? It's uh, a question I've, I've been asked before. Number six, uh, women teaching. Where can women teach? Where can't they teach? Should they be ordained? Is a topic people talk about. Number seven, social media. Should you be using it? If you are, how much time is like a healthy amount of time to be on social media? Uh, Number eight, uh, what TV shows, movies are okay to watch, which aren't? Uh, Where's the line there? Number nine, what social justice causes the church focus on? Uh, this is something I was like, man, we get a lot of input of like, hey, the church should do this. Church should uh, feed the homeless, uh, reach out to the gay community, 
um, help with refugees, do a prison ministry. And so I think figuring out those issues is, is a gray area. And lastly, uh, politics, of course. Uh, could you be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump, or should you be a Democrat? Um, so maybe some of you guys are thinking as I'm reading through this that actually some of those, that, that's not gray. That's not great. I know there's a Bible verse for that, <laughs> if you're like me. Um, and you might, be, you might be right, okay? That could be true. But even still, remember that disputable, disputable matter can even just be an area that's unessential to the Christian faith, all right? It's not that the Bible never, it's not that the Bible never talks about it. Remember, in the text, Paul even said, he said, like, I'm convinced. It's fine to eat meat and to drink, okay? He's like, but if it feels wrong for you, it's wrong. Isn't that interesting? It's still, it can be disputable if it's not important to the kingdom of God. And so it's really important as we're thinking through these moral issues, these gray areas, that we essentially develop, like, a theological hierarchy. Remember, like, the the food pyramid we had in school. That's no longer a thing. Uh, and we need to have loving God at the top or the bottom, maybe? Anyway, the most important thing, loving God, okay? Uh, secondly, loving people. And all the stuff at the bottom uh, is a little bit more disputable. Uh, and really, we should evaluate it in the terms of how well does it help us to love people and primarily to love God. Does that make sense? All, all moral issues are not the same. It's not like a, a flat list of rules that we're following, okay? So, uh, with that definition of dis- disputable matters, um, let's talk about weak versus strong faith. How many of you guys would be like, I'd be happy to be called a weak Christian? That sounds great. <laughs> no. So... Um, the interesting thing is that the way that Paul refers to weak and strong Christians is actually probably close the opposite of how I would have done so most of my Christian life, which is weird. Uh, would you consider someone a strong Christian maybe who like reads the Bible every day or is a missionary or seems to, you like never see them sinning? You're like that's a strong Christian, right? And I ask this because, yeah, the way Paul defines it, it's a little different. It's kind of like in uh, Princess Bride. Um, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and uh, in verse 2, 14-2, Paul writes this. He says, one person, a.k.a. a strong person, believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. And so by Paul's... <laughs> you Okay. By Paul's definition, uh, the weak person is the one who tends to have more restrictive rules regarding disputable areas, all right? And the strong person tends to have more freedom in disputable areas. So the weak Christian is the rule follower, and the strong Christian is more that can be viewed as the rule breaker, which is backwards. So let me tell you a story. Uh, Growing up, I tried to read the Bible every single day. If I didn't, I was pretty furious at myself. And if you didn't read the Bible every day, I was furious at you too. And if you, ha- if you came to me with some kind of problem, like, oh, like, I'm having a hard day, like, 
I'm feeling sad about something or nervous, I'd be like, oh, I got a Bible verse for you. Or I'd just be like, can you just go like read the Bible and then you'll be fine. <laughs> now, is it uh, a good thing to read the Bible? Yeah, right. Is it even a good habit to read it every morning? Yeah, sure. But do you have to read it? Do you have to read it every morning? Does the Bible say to do that? No, it doesn't do that. So it's actually disputable as to whether that's something we're called even to do as a Christian. Maybe there's other ways. You want to go for a walk and pray or something. That's fine. And back then, um, I would have considered myself a strong Christian, and people around me would have as well. But actually, I wasn't a strong Christian at all. I definitely had what Paul referred to here as, as weak faith, because my faith was largely put into disputable areas like reading the Bible daily. And my faith was not in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. My, work, my faith wasn't in all the good things that Jesus had done. It was in like how well I can keep this rule I made up for myself. And I viewed my sin as something I had to take care of by trying harder, not something that Jesus died for on the cross for me, okay? And so, for the sake of clarity, I'm actually going to call weak faith, weak gospel faith, okay? Because it's almost like it's being short for having weak faith in the gospel is what saves us, or strong faith in the gospel is what saves us, okay? And um, for me, I, you know, Bible reading specifically is one area where I've, I've grown to have stronger faith, um, especially after joining um, Restore, not that we're against but reading the Bible or something, <laughs> Um, but I began to realize, actually, I'm putting a lot more faith in this than I am in Jesus, and I feel more um, free now to read the Bible in order to enjoy it, and in order to enjoy Jesus, and not out of, like, a sense of duty. Does that make sense? And so, um, that's kind of the idea of strong and weak faith, and also, I want to be really clear, the goal of the text is not to become strong in faith. Isn't that interesting? Paul doesn't call them even once, anybody who's weak. He's not like, hey, meat's fine, eat the meat, like, drink some alcohol, you're fine, you're free. He doesn't do that. He actually says, if it's wrong for you, it's wrong for you, that's fine. Don't judge each other. Don't do it. And so we can actually have a a diversity here um, that's still unified. We can um, maintain unity without uniformity. We can have unity without uniformity. We don't have to all believe the same thing. And we don't have to convince each other either. All right, so let's jump into the third point. Um, how can we maintain unity when we don't all agree on everything and we don't have to? How do we handle these gray areas? Well, the first one is, uh, like Pinocchio, we need to follow our conscience, all right? You got your little, we have all these little different Jiminy Crickets in our minds, telling us different things, and to a certain extent, we need to follow our conscience within the bounds of Scripture prayerfully. How would you guys like to handle gray areas? Like, if you were in charge of the church, and people came to you, and they're like, we disagree on masks. Well, maybe you would like to um, maybe form a council and come up with, like, an opinion and write it down, and then that's like, there's like a new law, you know? So maybe you want to add more laws. That's something that Paul could have done in this case. Uh, Or maybe some of you would be like, 
chill out, it's fine, just let, let the people do what they want, okay? Everybody do what you want. Stop being legalists. But Paul actually doesn't really do either of those things, which is really interesting. Um, Paul writes in 14.14 about consciences. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So he's kind of giving his opinion here. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. So Paul is saying that if you consider a disputable matter sin, then for you it is sin. And then in verse 22, he warns us against doing things that make you feel, uh, that you feel God has told you are wrong. So in 22, he says this. He says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. You don't have to announce on social media what your opinions are. He says, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. So he's saying, actually, if you violate your conscience um, in order to, to keep up with what your brother or sister is doing, um, you're actually sinning. And so it, it sounds almost very like, Disney princess, like, just follow your heart and don't do things that feel wrong for you. Um, but um, he's saying that these things, if conscience really matters, and that um, as long as our conscience is informed by the scripture and by prayer and by seeking God's counsel or, or a people's counsel also, wise counsel, then we actually have freedom to follow our, our conscience, okay? And we may have the, um, an issue, I think, as Westerners of this idea of differing moral standards for each person. Like, that seems kind of weird. But God actually does not have an issue with that. God's basically like, um, Allison's my servant, Paul's my servant, John's my servant, and they're all called to different things. You guys don't need to worry about the different moral standards that he's given each of you, Okay. He's like, hey, don't worry about what your brother's doing. Don't worry about what your sister's doing. Just worry about what I've called you to do. And to that end, um, the second thing is Paul calls us to not judge each other. Do not despise each other because you are not the judge. None of us are the judge in the end. In um, verse 14:9, Paul writes this. He says, Christ died and returned to life for this that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? <laughs> like, who, are, who do you think you are? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So Paul's point here is that God made us, he saved us, and we serve him. And we, he will judge our good works someday, but when we judge each other, we actually are putting, taking Jesus off the throne, and we're putting ourselves on the throne, and we're just judging all the other Christians around us. And we don't need to do that. It's just not our job. And I hope that this actually is a relief. It's like, oh, I don't need to like, go around policing everybody all the time. I talk about this with my older son all the time. He loves policing my younger son. And um, last week, I, um, I heard my younger son crying. I ran outside, both my kids were out there. They were like, 
playing with balls or something. And I was like, what happened? What's wrong? And Quill's like, Rowan stole a ball for me. And I'm like, Rowan happened. And he's like, Quill was bouncing a soccer ball, Dad. You don't bounce a soccer, you don't dribble a soccer ball with your hands. And I was like, <laughs> Like, okay, I can understand how in your mind, technically that's true, but you don't have the authority to judge how your brother's playing soccer or whatever he wants to do. Like, it's just not your job. It's my job. If something's bothering you that Quill's doing, you can come over and talk to me. And if it's actually a problem, I'll go talk to him. But what you did was actually wrong because you pushed him and stole the ball, okay? <laughs> you were judging him. And so in the same way, like, we don't need to go around judging each other on these types of matters. It's God's, it's God's issue. In the words of Brad Sarian, you can be right, but still be wrong. <laughs> and so maybe a couple examples is that, like, maybe you personally feel, like, led to, like, give up social media for a time. Like, you feel like it's not healthy for you, it's distracting, it's wasting time, whatever. And maybe that's wise for you. But... Um, it's not okay to, to condemn other people when you see them using it. It might not be as much of an issue for them. Or maybe you think the loving thing is to wear masks or get vaccinated. That doesn't mean you can despise or gossip about people who aren't doing that. And if somebody, who, uh, somebody gets COVID, you're not like, oh, I knew it, or something like that. They're being so irresponsible. Okay? It's just not, it's not our job. And so, um, kind of last point here is that there are situations where somebody does have to compromise, right? Like if you're having a meal with somebody, you're either, there's either gonna be alcohol there or there's not gonna be alcohol, you know? It's like somebody's getting their way, kind of in a sense. And what do we do in those situations where someone does need to compromise? Well, in verse 15:1, Paul makes it clear. He says, he says, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. So, if you're strong, it's your job to bear with the weak and to not do whatever it is that they think is wrong. Some of you guys are like, I want to be strong, but I don't want to be strong anymore. I just want to be the, the weak Christian. <laughs> uh, again, in, in 14, 15, Paul says this. He says, for if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. And so Paul is saying, look, remember how Jesus left heaven to incarnate into our world. Jesus, the ultimate strong brother and strong in faith, right? And Jesus, I mean, think about all the rules Jesus followed that he didn't need to in order to save us. All those Old Testament laws that we don't have to follow anymore, he followed all those perfectly. And what was the goal of those laws? To point to him. He didn't need to do that. He was here, right? He could have just been like, I'm here, done, all the laws. Let's make some bacon, you know? <laughs> Seriously, he didn't need to follow dietary laws. He didn't need to eat Passover. Uh, he didn't need to get baptized to have like a symbolic washing away of his sin, which didn't exist. 
he like went through a lot of rules and um, things to like to bear with the weak. He even gave up drinking after after last Passover. He said, "I'm not going to drink again until we're all in heaven together." But you guys, when you drink, remember me. How selfless is that? He actually put a greater restriction on himself than he put on us. And so in the same way, we should voluntarily limit our freedoms for each other without complaining or judging or maybe showing off. Like, look at me. I'm not, I'm not doing this for you. I could, but I'm not because you're here. And so if you're hanging out with somebody and they tell you they have a conscience issue with alcohol, don't drink a beer with them just to show how free you are in the gospel. Or maybe if you think um, masks aren't necessary, put a mask on because um, you're in a setting with a person who maybe feels unsafe if you're not wearing one. It'd be pretty unloving to, I think, to not, to not wear one in this case. And maybe you're wondering, like, well, how do I know what people's conscience issues are? Because we, you can't tell automatically, necessarily. Um, and so it actually, I think the, the burden is actually on you, if you have a conscience issue, um, to very humbly share it, okay? Share your conscience issue. And not in the way of like, I think it would be wrong to, anyone who's not wearing a mask is like sinning. You should just say like, hey, I feel like we should all wear masks. So, or I feel like I should be wearing a mask, all right? It's on you to share your conscience issue so that people know that you have them so that then they can, when they're with you, like be unified by following your conscious issue, okay? Um, and so I think it's, um, it's really important to realize that Christian freedom is very different from the type of freedom that we have in the world. Worldly freedom says, I'm free to do whatever I want, okay? Like, I have a freedom, don't tell me what to do. Christian freedom says, I'm free to do what's best with, for others. I'm free to do what's best for others. That's what Jesus did for us. And the way that um, Paul ends this section of the letter is with a beautiful reminder that God's vision for his kingdom is of all nations and all peoples worshiping together. Uh, rejoicing and praising God. Remember all the rejoicing and the praising that I was reading about at the end of, of 15 here? In order for that to happen, that's kind of like his goal of, of this passage, is that we don't um, get broken up and we're not dividing over all these little issues, but that actually the whole world, all nations, people of different cultural um, differences, different families of origins, ethnicities, are able to worship God together because the gospel is so much more primary than all these other things that we, these small things that we tend to argue about. And when we view Jesus and how glorious he is and how amazing the gospel is, all these other things would be like, oh, yeah, like, okay, I'm not worried. You were late or whatever. We're just like, all right, let's get together. Let's praise together. And almost like um, a sports team who everybody has different talents and different backgrounds. But if they work together, that team actually can be stronger than if it's a bunch of, like, clones playing together or something. And no one on the team um, needs to be, like, trying to force everybody into some kind of mold, you know? And so, like, in the same way, we really are stronger um, through our diversity um, when we're unified, okay? And that's what heaven's going to be like. It'll be all nations together praising God. 
And we actually get to practice this every Sunday uh, when we're worshiping here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray Paul's benediction over us. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Jesus, so that you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. So, amen.